Well, you know what I think. I'm a Christian. I'm not going to deny that. I do want everyone to feel comfortable. That's why I'd like to talk to you about Jesus. Please do not go religious. Somebody's going to hell over there. He better not. Even the devil will speak the truth for, for his own purposes. This is war. Accept it. Back to Jerusalem podcast. Yeah, I'm back and I'm armed with righteousness. With your host, Eugene Bach. He just seems like he's got it all figured out. He's a righteous dude. Yep. Hello and welcome to another Back to Jerusalem podcast. I'm Eugene Bach and I'm coming to you live on delay. Or for some of you, I'm actually coming to you live, live from somewhere on the west coast of Sweden. And I'm super excited about what is taking place with uh, our projects. I, I, I think that this show is going to be a great show, kind of updating you on the things that are taking place um, in China. Nepal, India, Bhutan. I think that this is going to be a pretty great show for those of you that are just now tuning in or might be seeing us on Facebook Live. You might be watching this live from our uh, website. Uh, If you are not listening to this live from our website, you can actually get more information uh, about our Saturday morning live podcast by going to backtojerusalem.com forward slash live. Again, that's backtojerusalem.com forward slash live. And anybody that wants to call in, you're more than welcome to call in. Uh, We have an open line. I just now open it up for those that want to share a question, a concern, gripe, complaint. The lines are now open for you. Uh, I do have a pretty packed show for you today. It's going to take about an hour for me to get through everything that I got. It's a lot of stuff happening inside of China. As you know, you've been seeing our websites been blowing up with new, I mean, most ministry websites, right? Most ministry websites give you updates maybe once a week. You might have a newsletter that comes out once a month, once every two months, once every quarter, something like that. We've got so much information coming out that we have to do at least one news article every day for backtojerusalem.com. If you want to stay up with that, you can follow us on our website or connect with us on our Facebook, Instagram. Those are two great places. Or if you really want to get to know, I am updating more than anything else. I am updating my own page on dingdash.com. If you haven't heard of dingdash.com, look us up. It's a pretty amazing way to get connected with brothers and sisters around the world. I'm going to be sharing more about dingdash.com, but we have a lot of different things that are coming down range right now. I don't know if Will will be calling us today. Will is our office coordinator from the United States, and he usually calls in during our Saturday morning call-in show giving us information from the office, especially about books that we have in stock, sales that we have going on, and special deals. And I know that he and his family just arrived back from visiting their family in the northeastern part of the United States, so he might be kind of gathering himself after that. However, I do want to let you know that our newest Back to Jerusalem children's book has just arrived. That's just come out. You can get that at backtojerusalem.com. It's only available there. We did not do these children's books with a producer. So the reason why we didn't do it with a producer is because, or a publisher, 
rather. The reason we didn't do it with a publisher is because really we wanted to be able to have complete control over these books so that we could get them directly to you in the way that we had a vision for writing them. Here's the thing about children's books. Go to any Christian bookstore out there. Go and look online for any children's Christian books and you will not find any like the ones at Back to Jerusalem. This right now that we have book number six that has come out in the series. It's a 10-part book series that we have a vision for. At the moment, we are just now, uh, or we just arrived, fresh off the press, book number six. What makes these books different? The reason why we did not go through a publisher when it comes to this book, because you'll see many of our books are produced by an amazing publisher, um, Whitaker House. Whitaker House has been a great friend of ours for a long time producing many of our books. So I Stand with Christ, um, Kidnapped by a Cult, uh, several books, Leaving Buddha, which is our latest one that just came out. We have another one uh, that will be out at the beginning of next year about Back to Jerusalem. That's all done through Whitaker House. They're an amazing partner, but they don't really do children's books. They haven't been involved in children's books. And when I started doing the research for Christian children book publishing companies, the thing that I found is that when you start talking about miracles you run into a huge problem because there's a lot of children, Christian book. Now, this is not everyone. I, my exposure is limited. I'm not in the Christian publishing world. So if somebody listens to this and says, well, I work with a Christian book uh, publishing company that does children's books and they don't fit into the categories that you're talking about, that is probably true. This is a very broad brush that I'm that I'm making strokes with. The reason why we decided to do the publishing ourselves for these children's books is this. Our children's Christian books talk about modern day miracles. And for whatever reason, there's just been this general consensus that children's books should only talk about miracles if they have to do with Bible stories. But we wanted to share stories for children that share with them that the same God that moved in the lives of His people in the Old Testament and the New Testament is the same God that is alive and well today, looking after His children and moving in miraculous ways on their behalf. Uh, we have written children's books about missionary workers that have gone to Tibet. Missionary, an amazing story from Saudi Arabia. Um, our newest one is about a monk who came to Christ, uh, a Tibetan monk who came to Christ. And our next book will be about a pastor who was bitten by a poisonous snake in India and God healed him and it brought many villagers to Christ. We have modern-day individuals who are serving the Lord in closed countries. And so what we do is we take children on these amazing adventures into closed countries and share with them. If you hear the squeaking sound, I don't know if you can hear that or not on my microphone. I am sitting in kind of like a, a hotel room uh, in a, on the west coast of Sweden, and, I'm, and I've kind of got this chair that's a little bit loud, so I'm kind of, I'm in a completely different surrounding than I have been when I've been doing my podcast for the last several months. And um, when it 
comes to our children's books, they, the number six is available right now for you. Now, I want you to stay with me. I'm going to be sharing a little bit about what we have that's new that's coming down range. But this is the show that we have for you today. I'm going to be talking about what, what I've already introduced, the Cold War. That I believe that we are entering into a new Cold War between China and the United States. And I want to share about how I believe that is going to be impacting missions. I also want to be telling, talking to you about the new re-education camps. Brand new, just happened this week, where I saw an entire congregation, Christian congregation inside China, a legal congregation, a part of an official church, Protestant church, that was sent to a re-education camp. I want to talk about that and how that relates to one of the books that I've written called I Stand With Christ that talks about the re-education camps of the 1960s and 1970s. I want to also talk about the different projects that we have been doing in India, Nepal, Bhutan, because I think that those are super important to share with you, especially those of you that have been supporting us as gatekeepers. Um, outside of the new children's book that we just came out, you can go onto our website right now. Those, those Christian children's books are available only through backtojerusalem.com. You can't get them anywhere else. You cannot get them anywhere else. There are several churches that have partnered with us, but I don't believe that they are at any other Christian bookstore or bookstore outlet. So book number six, I know, is only available through Back to Jerusalem. Our other books might have started to matriculate out into other venues. Don't know, but you can uh, check and see if they are available, but I doubt it. Um, our children's books have been really some of our best sellers when it comes to books that we've done in the past. Also, coming down range very soon, within the next couple of weeks, we have Back to Jerusalem hats. These are special smuggler hats. Back to Jerusalem, they look like a regular baseball hat. They're black. Um, I'm going to be putting pictures of them up very soon. We'll be putting articles out about them. They will be made available on our Back to Jerusalem website. They have the Back to Jerusalem logo on the front. If you don't know what that is, the logo isn't just a logo. This logo actually means something. The Back to Jerusalem logo, for most Westerners that see it, it looks like a square within a square. But it's actually a Chinese character. And the Chinese character is the character Hui, as in Hui Gui Ye Lu Salong. This is the Chinese phrase for Back to Jerusalem. And the Hui that we use as our uh, logo is the Chinese character for return. It also symbolizes a gate within a wall. The walls that we focus on for back to Jerusalem are the walls between, or the air, the lands that are between the walls of the Great Wall of China and the Western Wall of Jerusalem. When you look at the Western Wall of Jerusalem, the wall that goes around the city, the ancient city of Jerusalem, you have one gate in particular that is the most important gate. It's the Eastern Gate, the Golden Gate, the gate that we have been told by Isaiah and John that Jesus would return, the Messiah would return again through this Golden Gate, this gate within the walls, the walls of Jerusalem. This logo, which means to return, is the Chinese character that we use for return back 
to the, the gate of Jerusalem, where the Messiah is said to be coming back. That is what the logo means. It's a Chinese word. It also means Hui, as in Muslim people. So the Chinese, when they refer to Muslims or the Chinese Muslims, they call them the Hui people. This is the same character. The area between Xi'an, the ancient city of Xi'an, all the way back to the western wall of Jerusalem. All of those lands, you go to the north, you get into atheist areas. You go to the east, you're back in atheist areas. You go to the south, you run into the house of Buddha and the house of Hindu. But the main corridor between Xi'an all the way back to Jerusalem is territory that is owned and controlled by the house of Islam. And so for that character to also represent Muslims in China means a lot for us. That's why we use it as our Back to Jerusalem logo. That's on the very front of this hat. On the back of the hat is Returning Back to Jerusalem or Back to Jerusalem written in Chinese. Inside of the hat, inside of the hat are three little secret pockets that you can use to put your ID. You can put cash. You can put credit card. So let's say you're going for a jog. You can wear this hat on your jog, take your credit cards, take cash, take your ID, not have to take your wallet, not have to have pockets in your pants. You can have jogging pants on. You can have sh shorts with no pockets. You don't have to have those items on your body. You can actually wear them in your hat. If, if you're going into an area where you need to take something in, where you, don't, you know that you're going to be searched, most people will check your hat, maybe check your head, but really, that's not so common. Your pockets are checked for security purposes or whatever, but they rarely, you know, if you, if you put it in your hat, that's a great location to bring things in and out in an area where you may not want people to know what you have on your body. So that's why we have this Back to Jerusalem smugglers hat. And that will be available through Back to Jerusalem. Now, for our projects, let me just share a little bit. We got an update just yesterday from India, Bhutan, and Nepal. And I'm super excited about sharing about this. I have to be very careful in the way that I share about it because um, I don't want to give away security. So the information that I'm going to be shared here, I'm going to have to be very careful and make sure that I tailor my words as they come out of my mouth because I have the email sitting right in front of me. And we have uh, several businesses that we have started at the very beginning of the year. Now, you'll remember that we actually read off those businesses on a Back to Jerusalem live Facebook broadcast that I did together with Brother Tong or Brother Ren. Depends on what name you go by. So uh, both, uh, both myself and uh, Uncle Tong or Brother Ren uh, we made an announcement of several projects that we supported, supported by you, supported by the listeners of this podcast, supported by our gatekeepers. If you're not familiar with what a gatekeeper is, go to backtojerusalem.com forward slash gatekeepers. There you will find out how to become a gatekeeper. Gatekeepers are probably the most important partners that we have when it comes to projects that we are doing that need funding. We could not do most of what we do without gatekeepers. 
So for those of you that are writing to me and asking me, what can I do besides pray? What can I, you know, because we're usually writing pro, uh, articles about projects that we're doing, about persecution that is ongoing, uh, about the most recent updates when it comes to electronics, when it comes to um, a lot of the, the things that we share about. When people write to me and say, okay, I read your article, I read your newsletter, I read your email, what can I do to help? Step number one, one of the most important things that you can do is become a gatekeeper. Gatekeepers are individuals who sponsor Back to Jerusalem projects on a monthly basis, and this is why it's important. It's important because when we have individuals who come to us in need, so for instance, I just got a phone call last week from a good friend in Iran that has been carrying out projects in Afghanistan. And he said, hey, look, we need help in Afghanistan. The coronavirus is wreaking havoc. I'm actually writing an article about it right now to let people know because Honestly, I didn't, I, I haven't really been that well informed when it comes to the pain that has been inflicted by the COVID-19 in Afghanistan. I mean, it already sucks for people that live in Afghanistan. And to add on top of that, the misery of COVID-19. I mean, so many people listening to this podcast is probably listening from the Western country. The majority of our listeners are from the United States. I just, by the way, got an update, and I want to thank you guys for downloading this podcast. You know, in the last three months from um, April, May, and June, so the end of February to the, uh, to the end of June, so basically three months time frame, uh, we had over 28,000 downloads. That's almost 10,000 a month. In the last three months, those 10,000 a month downloads have come from 85 different nations. Over the period of this podcast, um, we don't have accurate numbers, but as far as we can see, it's well over a quarter of a million downloads. So we get more downloads through our podcast than we do on our YouTube channel. We get more downloads than we do from uh, any of our news articles. You guys that are listening to this podcast have been so faithful joining together with us and I am overwhelmed with gratitude. I want to I really want to say a big thank you to all of you guys. There are certain areas like I just was it last week or the week before, we were number 2 for religious downloads in Pakistan on iTunes. Number 2 in, a, in the world's second most Muslim-populated nation, Pakistan, for iTunes, for religious content, for, for the category of religion. So there are ministries out there so much bigger than ours that are much better at communication, that are much better at packaging their content so that it's more enjoyable for you as the listener. I just do these podcasts on my mobile phone, upload them onto Dropbox, our office in the U.S., downloads them, puts them up for you to download. So we really want to say thank you, and we believe that most of our gatekeepers come from listening to this podcast. 
And so if you are a gatekeeper and you've been donating or you're a donor and you've only donated one time or two times or you're a prayer partner and you're standing together with us praying for these nations, let me give you an update. If you were following us already uh, in March of this year, So March, April of this year, we announced several businesses that we are supporting with uh, persecuted Christians living in India, Nepal, and Bhutan. One of those businesses was poultry production. That business is going well. Even though we have COVID-19, we are seeing that the poultry production is going well. That is exciting. We also were able to do a water, uh, uh, sorry, an aquaponics program. Now, if you're not familiar with aquaponics, just really quick, we've talked about it in other places before. For those of you that have been listening to us for many years on aquaponics, I know that you don't want another course. Basically, the down and dirty of it is that it is a sustainable system of food production and water purification where fish are in a tank and their wastewater gets drained out from the fish tank into a bed of rocks. The bed of rocks replaces a bed of soil, so you don't need good soil. The bed of rocks, uh, which is where we grow several different types of vegetables, is then fed by the bacteria and the wastewater that comes from the fish. The bed of rocks purifies that water as it circulates back to the fish tank. And this is done on small scales and large scales. We've done this as large as massive farms in southern China. Uh, We've also done it as massive farms in India. We've also done it on balconies in very urban areas and downtown areas of China. So we've done it in many different settings, and it has been a great way to sustainably produce food. Well, in this instance, we've also been able to do water sanitation. Water sanitation is absolutely essential for the area that we are working at inside of India because so many children die every single year because of intestinal infections that are completely, completely preventable. We could easily prevent these infections where children basically get diarrhea, then they die of dehydration, because they don't have access to clean water. Now, there is a certain level of bacteria that humans can become adapted to. We can become adapted to a certain level of bacteria where it will not bother our system. That's why when you go into Tijuana, for instance, locals can drink the water. Foreigners, especially from areas that are from Northern America, cannot. They get really bad traveler's diarrhea. The reason why is because their bodies are just not adapted to certain types of bacteria. However, there are certain levels of contamination that your body just can't get used to. And the, this bacteria can start living in your gut. And we're not talking about good gut flora. I know that this is a common phrase that's going around the health industry right now. You do not want, we, got a, we, had a, we have an amazing former chairman for Back to Jerusalem named Ivan Froen, a Viking from Norway. He gives an amazing sermon about living water. And he talks about drinking the water in India and how it became alive and it became flowing out of his body from every orifice. Uh, That's what happens with many of the children. And unfortunately, as funny as his sermon is, the tragic fact of the matter is that children are dying every day because of lack of clean water. 
But now in this one village that we've been able to support in aquaponics project, the people now have access to clean water. And we want to thank you. In Bhutan, so that's India. In Bhutan, we have textile production. Um, I can't give details on the textiles that are being produced, but these are garments that are being produced for the local market by Christians. And there are many Christians in Bhutan that, because of persecution against Christians, are not able to find employment. But with Back to Jerusalem coming in, working together with them, starting their own company, we don't need to have somebody employ a believer. It's believers that are now giving jobs and being a, a contributing member of their society. Given jobs, paying taxes, bringing in income, income that is then spread around to pay for food, supplies, help families. So we are working together with many different Christian families, giving them successful business or working together with them to build successful businesses so that they can, tr can, can contribute to society and be a not just a spiritual light, but a light in their community that shows integrity, honesty, success in business. It, it, they, are, they have a chance to change the trajectory of their entire family history. Let me give you an example. There's a guy that we're working with right now inside of Bhutan, a really amazing guy. I've talked about him before in some of our podcasts. I've actually done a podcast together with him. He comes from a family of flying Buddhists. Yes, <laughs> flying Buddhists. So his, his great-grandfather could fly through the air. This is very common in um, Buddhist-believing areas, especially areas where animism is prevalent and mixes in with Buddhism, which is basically what Buddhism is everywhere. So if you find Zen Buddhism in Japan, it's mixed in with the, the Japanese deities. When you look at Buddhism in Thailand, it doesn't look anything like the Buddhism in Japan. The reason why is it's mixed in with the ancient deities. I wrote a book about a monk who walked away from the Buddhist faith when he learned about Christ and Christ came in completely and absolutely transformed his life. And in that, I share about the what takes place when a Buddhist uh, from Tibet goes into an area where the people are not Tibetan Buddhists because of the mix of the Bun religion. The Bun religion is the ancient religion of Tibet, and that's mixed in with Buddhism. Well, we get the, we get the same thing in Bhutan. And so in Bhutan, you have the mixing of animism, and in that animism, you have people that can fly. And you'll notice this. I mean, anybody listening to this podcast that has ever watched a kung fu movie, uh, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, right? You have individuals that can fly. That is a belief in the Chinese ancient religion. In fact, that, that's a, a major part of what I was sharing about the uh, Boxer Rebellion in the early 1900s. In the summer of 1900, you have the Boxer Rebellion, and the Boxer Rebellion were these Chinese fighters that believed that they were, uh, they, they were in the embodiment of the spirits, and these spirits could help them fly, 
These spirits can make them impervious to bullets. These spirits can keep them from getting killed by, by a sword. These spirits can help them control other people's mind through their spirit. Um, we have the same thing in Buddhism. So there's this guy that I'm working together with, have been working together with for a while uh, via our team in India. And he comes from a family of flying Buddhas. And his grandfather could f was only able to levitate or fly a little bit. Uh, 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 he was able to fly, but not as high as the father before him. And then the guy that we work with, his grandfather couldn't was just barely levitating. Uh, his father could barely levitate. And then by the time it got to him, uh, he was not able to really make it off the ground. But he became a believer. He became a believer, was not a very good Buddhist, and he was persecuted. But now he is working together with us in Bhutan to start this company. This company of doing textile production. Um, this brother is now living in India, but he's helping with the Bhutan team. Uh, we also have a grocery store. We have a shoe shop. We have an electrician company that sends out electricians to different people's homes and helps wire their homes uh, for construction or maintenance or whatever. They're kind of they're, they're your everyday electrician handyman in very high demand in Bhutan. And so those of you that are praying together with Back to Jerusalem and supporting the Back to Jerusalem vision through gatekeepers, this is what you're funding is going for. Now that was for the first six months of the year. Now I've just received um, the, the new proposals to start businesses for the second part of the year. Now here's the thing about the businesses that we start. This is why they're important because a lot of people are like, well, I'm not used to, it doesn't make sense for me to help support a business. It doesn't make sense for me. What I would rather do, a lot of Christians feel a lot more comfortable to support Bibles. A lot of Christians feel a lot more comfortable to support Bible schools, Bible training, um, a, a Bible school for a minister, evangelist. Those are things that we as Christians in the West can get our hands around, right? Because that makes sense to us. Here's the thing. This is, this is an important part of understanding how Back to Jerusalem operates. When we get individuals that want to come and say, we, and we get this a lot, by the way, we get organizations that do fundraising for Bibles, let's say China. They do fundraising for Bibles in China. Uh, uh, let, me, let me put it a different way. Uh, let, me, let me say Bibles in um, Bhutan because we're talking about Bhutan, right? So we'll, we'll stick with Bhutan to keep things simple. So we get individuals that come and they say, listen, my organization, A, we have been able to do fundraisers for Bibles in Bhutan. So how much do your Bibles cost per Bible? Well, I can give you a price of what it would cost us to bring Bibles in the Bhutanese language into the country, but it would cost us more than just printing the Bible or making the Bible. We have electronic Bibles that we're using. Right now we're actually working on an a, um, audio Bible uh, for Bhutan in the Bhutanese language. But here, here's the thing. If I, let's say that I tell you it costs us uh, $15 for an electronic Bible in Bhutan. And you say, great, my organization, Organization A, we have $100,000 that we can support for uh, these Bibles. Or let's say um, 
uh, $15,000 to make it because they're $15. We'll say $15 per Bible, $15,000. We can support a thousand Bibles. The thing is, is that our guys cannot just go around handing out Bibles. They could, but they have to have a cover. Now, this is not true for every location where we're at, but the truth is that that cover, I, could, I mean, otherwise I can just sell Bibles all day long in areas that need Bibles, raise money, and send, money, uh, send the Bibles into the areas that need the most. The problem is most of the time people raise money for Bibles and they don't have a way of getting the Bibles into the country. That's where we come in. And that's something that we do through business. We start businesses, and businesses are able to help us in several different ways. One of the ways is by giving people legitimate reasons for travel and engagement. When you travel around into different parts of Bhutan, every day a different city, every day a different hotel, every day eating at a different restaurant, every day traveling by a different vehicle or motor transportation, the government, when they arrest you, they're going to start looking into your finances. And they're going to start eventually asking the question, where are you getting your money? Where do you work? Why do you have these deposits made into your account? And yet, it's, no, it's not connected with any job. This not only does it look fishy, it starts to look like you're doing something a little bit more illegal than you might be doing. It can be looked like you're, you know, you're working for like some spy agency. By starting businesses, we are able to use those businesses as platforms to allow people to receive money for legitimate reasons and then also to travel around for their business for legitimate reasons. They're also able to engage people on a regular basis that are not Christian because of the business that they do. That allows them a legitimate reason for sharing with individuals that may not be believers. By starting up these businesses, we also then are able to start up channels, networks, storage locations for our Bibles, teaching materials, teachers, students, evangelists, pastors, preachers. We're able to and establish a network for these guys to travel around into these different networks through this. And here's the thing. When you give to Bibles, once that Bible is given out, you have to buy another Bible to give out and another and another until all the Bibles have been saturated into the society, right? <clears throat> so it's charity, and we're comfortable with that. Bible schools. Support it this year for 15 students. Support it next year for 15 students. If they raise more support, they bring in more students. They don't raise any support. They shut the school down because the school is not sustainable. But what if instead of running a Bible, a pure Bible school, which is illegal in Bhutan anyway, what if we run a language school? What if we run a textile company? Then that allows us to run a Bible school in the business as well as bring in money so that if the, the support stops, which it eventually does, the business is able to maintain a certain level of income to supply the pastors, the teachers, and sometimes, most of the time, even the students. We do it all the time. Every day, every year, and been doing it for several years. That's why we're writing a book called BAM, Business as Mission. Well, it's not going to be called that. It's going to be called something else, but it's going to be about business as mission. This is something that we do a lot. 
The reason why is I do not believe that we live in a world where the Western missionary model is sustainable forever. It's been great. It's been a great run, and it might continue going for a while. We still do fundraisers in the West, and we will continue to do so until we can't do it anymore. However, we've also made investments across the board that allow Christians to run ministry through business, that the day that funding stops, those businesses continue, the ministry lives on. Regardless of whether our name lives on, regardless of whether our organization lives on. Listen, our organization, Back to Jerusalem, is nothing more than a vision that is, that is being supported by an organization that was registered to be a legal entity in the West. But if you shut down our organization, you don't shut down the vision. If you stop funding our organization, you don't stop funding the vision. Because the vision isn't only funded through Western donations. We got away from that Western model years ago, and I'm not going back. Because the future continues to show me that it is harder and harder to continue raising funds and getting those funds into the hands of people that need them in the traditional Western way. The, the way that we are seeing taking place right now inside of China, India, Bhutan, and the areas between the Great Wall of China and the Western Wall of, of Jerusalem, and the area of the 1040 window, and the area where the gospel has not yet gone, I have seen that God is taking us back to the first century church. And the first century church did, they were able to carry out operations that were supported by donors from the, the senders in Jerusalem. However, there were also businesses along the way, tent making opportunities that allowed them, uh, Paul and those that traveled together with him to fully fund the missionary effort and endeavor. That even when you cut off the funding coming from Jerusalem, the missionary movement continues on. And that's kind of where we're at right now with this. And, and the thing is, is that we are not the Catholic Church, right? If you look at the, the, the largest property owner in the world, you find the Catholic Church. Why? Because the Catholic Church went around buying up all these properties, building their churches, uh, bringing in their priests and their, their, their cardinals and, and all of the different laity that, that, that does the everyday work of the Catholic Church. That's not back to Jerusalem. We are investing in people. We don't take any stake into the companies that we are actually funding. What we do is we work together with individuals and we help them start business. So what we do is we, we provide capital as much as is needed, or, or and it's usually not 100%, so we'll do something like <clears throat> anywhere from 10% to 80%, right, of the capital that's needed to get a business up and going off the ground. And then we will provide oversight and strategic consultation coming alongside our brothers and sisters that are running these businesses. But these businesses, make no mistake about it, belong to them, not to us. Definitely not to me. So we don't 
buy these businesses and then take the money out of these businesses to do something that nobody knows about. No, we work together with these businesses, invest in these businesses, get them up and off the ground. That way we have pastors that are no longer needing donations on an annual basis. That way we have uh, missionaries, evangelists, teachers, even students that do not need tuition to be paid, that don't need a salary, that don't need a retirement plan because we were able to work together with them to start a business that is sustainable in the kingdom of the 1040 window. So I'm, I'm not sure if that makes sense or not. I hope that it does <clears throat> because um, for the next six months, we are going to be doing the same thing in India, in Bhutan, uh, in Nepal. Because these businesses have been doing amazing. Now, here's the way that you, if, if you are a gatekeeper and you want to find out what's happening in Bhutan, in Nepal, in India, sign up on dingdash.com. Dingdash.com is a um, social media platform that we have started at Back to Jerusalem for those that are living in persecuted countries. So that Christians that are living in persecuted countries that cannot sign on to Facebook, that cannot sign on to Instagram, that cannot access YouTube, they can sign on to DingDash. And on DingDash, they can share with me and you about the projects that are taking place. So we get regular updates on DingDash, pictures, testimony, stories. It's amazing. You can sign up on DingDash right now. Now, we, we started DingDash so that individuals who are living in uh, Iran, living in China, living in places where they cannot access Facebook or uh, the regular social media that we have available to us at our fingertips in the West, we started this social media for them. But here's what we're learning. We're actually getting more Westerners on DingDash than we are people in the 1040 window. And this is happening for two reasons. Number one reason is I'm not traveling. Once I start traveling, I will start speaking at churches. And when I'm speaking in underground churches in China, India, Vietnam, uh, Sudan, wherever, these are usually groups anywhere from five people to 500. And when that happens, we're able to share about DingDash. And so we'll, be, we'll have hundreds of people signing up at every single meeting that we have in closed countries. This is something that we're not advertising through um, emails or whatever, you know, in places like Vietnam, Laos, Cambodia, China. Uh, instead, we are doing it face to face. But we have been sharing about Ding Dash on Western media. So the, the second thing that we are seeing in, in, for Ding Dash is the number of Christians in the West that feel that their information is being stolen, they are being targeted by big corporations because their data is being shared by uh, organizations like Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, Google, and they're just sick of it. They don't want their data to be shared. They don't want their information to be out there. They don't want their information to be sold to some company so that they can be marketed. They definitely don't want it for when governments start cracking down and bringing persecution against Christians that these big corporations that are in cahoots together with the government then shares that information with the government. So we have people in America, Western Europe, Australia, South Africa that are signing on a ding dash right now because they don't feel comfortable with what these corporations are doing with their private information. So they're signing on to DingDash. And if you haven't signed on yet, let me uh, encourage you to sign up and follow our friends 
from India, from Bhutan, from Nepal that are giving updates on a regular basis. And from time to time, we have our friends from Iran, Iraq, Dubai that sign in and share about the projects that are taking place there. We need you. If you're in the West and you're listening to this podcast, you're living in a safe place like Canada, you're living in a safe place like Singapore, we need you. We need your help. Sign on to DingDash, and this is why. On DingDash, we have many people from around the world that are living in persecuted countries that are signing on and need encouragement. Your encouragement. They need prayer. They need to know that there are other brothers and sisters out there that pray for them. Especially right now, we got individuals that are signing on from Nigeria. I'm, right now, I'm writing a 30-day prayer guide about Nigeria because of the, the horrible atrocities that are taking place almost on a daily basis. Just in the last week, we've seen at least 40 people killed in Nigeria from Christian villages being killed by Islamic terrorists. And it's brutal. Brutal. The killings are brutal. Many of the people that are being killed are mothers and their children. One of the reports that we just did, put it up on backtojerusalem.com, was about a Nigerian wedding that was taking place in a Christian village when just indiscriminately uh, Muslim terrorists come busting in and just starts mowing people down. Dead bodies everywhere. You can find that on our website. I warn you, the images are graphic. If you are easily disturbed, do not open that page because we did not put up pictures that have been tailored. We put them up exactly as they had been shared with us on social media. Children side by side, mothers laying by their children, dead, massacred. The problem is is that we're not seeing anybody responding. You got, the, you got the Black Lives Matters marching in the streets talking about nobody cares. You want to you really see where nobody cares? Look at Nigeria. Nigeria, we are seeing pain where there is genocide taking place. Christians being killed one after the other. Nigerian Christians, African Christians. Not a peep in CNN, BBC. MSNBC, NBC, not a peep from protesters that are burning down uh, buildings, marching in the streets, tearing down statues. Why? Because the enemy wants you to be distracted. And these brothers and sisters, they're going through real hardship, real pain, real persecution, and they need your prayer. And it would be so great if you were able to sign on to dingdash.com and see them, meet them, hear their stories, testimonies, see the pictures that they share, and let them know, hey, Christians at my church, we're praying for you. Christians at my church, I shared with them about you by name. This can be a great way for us to encourage one another, and you can be assured that dingdash.com will never Save your information or sell your information.
You can be completely free in the knowledge of knowing that we are on your side. It is a a platform that was created for persecuted Christians by persecuted Christians with Christian volunteers standing beside them and helping. The whole thing. Right now, Facebook has, I think, 48,000 full-time employees. (laughs) Dingdash has a couple volunteers. One main volunteer, Eric, who runs almost everything. Uh, We will have people that will be signing on from China, and I'm going to start jumping into this. I'm going to shut down our uh, call line. Anybody that uh, did not get a chance to call, unfortunately, I'm going to have to shut down because I'm running out of time. Um, So I am going to shut down our uh, phone number so you can no longer call our Uh, back to Jerusalem hotline. I'm going to go ahead and take that number down. And for those of you that are listening by podcast, it doesn't really matter for you. But those of you that are watching us live, the reason I'm going to, I'm taking that down is because now I need to get into the meat. What's been taking place inside of China? The hardship that I've been writing a little bit about. Now, as you know, for the last two years, persecution inside of China has gone through the roof. It's skyrocketed. And now we're seeing that China's paying a price, a huge price. I mean, everything that could go wrong inside of China is going wrong. China's making so many enemies right now. They're like a, a bull in a, forgive me, a China shop. I mean, they are losing friends left and right. And I believe that it's directly related to the campaign of persecution that they have adopted against Christians in the last two years. And it's only getting worse. Their aggression against Christians. Before, when I was sharing about persecution inside of China, I was mainly referring to persecution as it relates to the underground church, those that were not registered. Now, I don't believe that it's right, but in many ways, it's legitimate. Christian churches were not allowed to operate without being registered with the government. Underground churches don't register with the government. Therefore, the, the, the government pursued them. That persecution we rebelled against because the reason why the churches do not register with the government, the reason why they became underground house churches, was not because they're hiding from people. They're out in the open preaching the gospel boldly, but they're just not registered. They're giving their lives for the gospel inside of China, but they are not registered. And the reason why is multi, there's many different reasons. I, I've actually shared about those reasons several times, and it has to do with uh, they don't uh, agree to the, uh, give the government control on how many people in their church can be baptized. They don't agree to give the government control on uh, how many Bibles that their church can hand out and give. They don't agree to how many members are allowed to be in their church, how many members are not allowed to be in their church. They don't agree to um, having their clergy only trained through the government um, Uh, Bible schools. They don't agree that there are certain topics that they're not allowed to talk about. Namely, they're not allowed to talk about the return of Christ. They're not allowed to talk about Immaculate Conception. They're not allowed to talk about um, the um, resurrection from the grave. Um, There are certain things that underground Christians believe are absolutely essential to Christian faith and will not allow the government to dictate on whether they can teach them or not. Because of those reasons, they have not registered with the government, and the government has been after them. However, what makes the persecution now different is that the government is now 
persecuting official churches, registered churches, churches that are doing everything that the government tells them to do, they are now finding themselves on the other side of the law. And they're paying a price. Now, you can say this is judgment. You can say that this is related. You can say that this is just bad luck. But what is taking place inside of China on the natural side is devastating the nation. Swine flu, wreaking havoc from border to border, north to south, east to west. The swine flu is killing more pigs and they can't get their hands around it. More than 400 million, almost half a billion pigs have been slaughtered inside of China. It's one of the main meat products inside of China. Chicken and pork. Those are the two number one meat products. Chicken, pork, fish. I guess I'm almost covering everything except for lamb and beef, right? But chicken, pork, fish, these are the number one food meat products in China, when you have almost half a billion pigs slaughtered and taken off the market, that is a serious loss. That is devastating the food markets in China. Uh, on, on top of that, and, and we won't even talk about the coronavirus and what, what havoc that is wreaking, not just around the world, but on China. We're seeing a decoupling of the markets like never before. Nations, you remember there was a time when people told you that without a doubt, that, that, that there was just no way you could close your border, right? That we now increasingly more and more live in a borderless world, a world without borders. This was especially true of the West. I, I was always amused of how this never really applied to countries in the East. In the Middle East, there were very clear borders and immigration systems in the East, in Asia, China, North Korea. You have very clear borders, very clear immigration systems. You didn't have people just walking across any uh, doodad any time that they wanted. Didn't happen that way. But in the West, we were told that oh, there's you know borders are becoming less and less relevant. Really, shouldn't even have immigration. People should just come and go as they please. Markets are borderless. You, bring in, you, you build a pencil by bringing in rubber from, for the pencil uh, from the rubber trees in Indonesia, the wood in from Scandinavia, the uh, graphite in from Asia. And then the world comes together to make this one simple pencil. It's manufactured inside of China, sold in Canada. Right? So this idea of a free market was that the entire world was going to be borderless until we're now looking at the coronavirus. With the coronavirus, borders, <laughs> remember when people were like, no, we can't close borders. Justin Trudeau closed the borders of Canada, which we thought, you know, basically are open, you know, between America and Canada forever. Bam, closed up, sealed, shut. Turns out it wasn't only possible, it was absolutely necessary. Well, during, the, this, during this time of the coronavirus, the world has learned that maybe we shouldn't rely on such a global market to be able to get many of the things that we need into our country. Maybe we shouldn't rely especially on a country like China. It, when, it, when a country like China is providing all of your thermometers, 
all of your testing kits for the coronavirus. The very nation that, supp that supplied you with the disease is supplying you with the, the gadgets that you need to detect the disease. The problem is that the, the detectors were not working. So you had countries like the Netherlands getting in large shipments of coronavirus detectors that were absolutely worthless. You had a, a, a scare in the United States that was worried about China possibly getting so upset that they would cut off the medications that Americans needed in hospitals in order to treat the, the sick. Medications that were made by American companies but produced only in China. So a lot of these nations have decided that they were going to start moving their production outside of China into places that were closer to home. This also has to do with global warming. When you have you know, uh, seafood that's brought in from China to a place like where I'm at right now uh, on the west coast of Sweden, that takes a lot of gas, fuel. That Those take container ships to truck clear across the world in order to bring cheaper seafood to the market in a place that already has local seafood. So all of that big fat carbon footprint has been stamped, stomped down onto the ground, right? So for these reasons, a lot of countries around the world are decoupling themselves away from the China production. This could not come at a worse time for China because China needs those jobs. They need those orders. Their factories are shutting down. So while the persecution is taking place, you have the swine flu killing about half a billion pigs. You have the decoupling of the market. You have the unemployment inside of China skyrocketing. You have the GDP falling through the ground. You got people saying, oh, the GDP is actually expanding. The market inside of China is actually growing. That's malarkey. It's a complete smoke and mirror show. It's not true. You also have a plague of locusts that are attacking China. You have hailstorms hitting Beijing in the shape of the coronavirus. Kid you not. Size of my fist. And these don't look like regular hailstone balls. They look like a virus. <laughs> it's eerie, spooky. You want to add on to the spookiness? China just two months ago had a government meeting where they brought in all of their government officials to solidify their laws against the underground house church. And the city turned dark in the middle of the day. It's on video. I sh we share the video on our website. You can go through the archives of our, of our website where we share about the news from Beijing. You can do a search on it where we give video footage where the city went black on the day that all the government officials arrived in Beijing to make these new laws. On top of that, flooding that has displaced tens of millions of people. You're not hearing about this on the news. The Chinese government is not wanting to share about it. But we're getting information directly from the field about things that are happening. One of the main cities that is basically underwater right now is Nanyang. You might have heard Nanyang if you've ever read the book The, the Heavenly Man because that's Brother Yun's home county. Nanyang County is the epicenter of the underground house church. It's being pounded right now by floods. Several cities around China are underwater right now as I'm doing this podcast. It's no joke. Yunnan Province, Sichuan Province, Guizhou Province, Guangxi Province, Jiangxi Province, Hunan Province, Anhui Province, all underwater. Hefei Province, one of the, or Hefei, 
one of the biggest cities in Anhui province. The city of Hefei right now just had a dike break where water is now flooding into their city where they can't control it. And on top of that, we are now starting to see a cold war that I was referring to already a couple of months ago. Remember when I was doing a podcast and I said, are we entering into a new cold war? Well, there are several factors that are showing that we possibly are in the middle of one right now. Now, at the time, I was just talking about the conflict in the South China Sea between the Chinese Navy and the U.S. Navy, where the U.S. Navy was trying to keep waters open but the Chinese Navy was moving in and aggressively moving out. Nobody, no, no military in the world is really starting to, uh, no military in the world wants to challenge China. No military wants to challenge, challenge China is the main, we've been, we have been looking at many countries around the world whenever you see a, a lot of um, uh, <clears throat> shows like 007, when you see the shows like uh, Mission Impossible, right? They always talk about these Eastern, these, these Eastern European countries that are these, the, the hot spots for uh, evil, nefarious individuals. Russia is kind of, Russians are always like the, the favorite villain of Western movies and films, right? Hollywood loves to use Russians. Why? Because they're politically convenient. You can beat up on them and nobody really cares. Everybody kind of joins in. This, this evil group of people. But what you don't see is what I've been learning from individuals who are coming to our hackers conference who tell us that whenever they see attacks from nations coming in on U.S. computers, Middle Eastern computers, or European computers, the hacks are coming in, the attacks are coming in from China. When it comes to military aggressiveness on the open sea, it's been China. Now, leaving that behind, now we've just seen within the last week that the embassy in Houston and Texas has been closed. China answered tit for tat right away, shutting down the the U.S. embassy in Chengdu. America kicked out journalists with the China Daily newspaper. Right away, we saw that American journalists were kicked out of China. It's going tit for tat. Here's the thing. This is how I believe we might see an impact in the next month, in the coming weeks. I hope not. I hope I'm wrong. I hope you can write to me, talk to me, call me in about a month, two months from now and say, ha, you said that was going to happen and it never happened. I hope you can make that phone call. I hope I eat my words. But America has just been arresting Chinese spies on American soil. My guessing is we might start seeing American missionaries in China arrested as spies on Chinese soil. Tit for tat. I've experienced this directly, intimately, personally. And in uh, the early 2000s when I was working inside of uh, North Korea, We were working together with those that were going into North Korea that had escaped inside of China. So I was traveling inside of North Korea, but I was also traveling into China meeting together with North Korean refugees that had escaped outside of North Korea. So I was doing both. At one point, I ended up in a city called Dandong. Dandong is in northeast China. It's on the border of, it's a city that's on the border of China and North Korea. It sits right on a river. 
right on that river was a coffee shop that was owned by a guy by the name of Kevin Garrett, him and his wife, Kevin and Julia. Uh, I met them inside of, in Dandong at their coffee shop. And we were talking about um, getting Bibles to refugees that were coming in from North Korea. They were missionaries. They've been living, working, and serving inside of China since 1984. 30 years they had given their lives as missionaries openly. Uh, they were open about the work that they were doing. They were Christians. I knew them. I knew their work. I was exposed to their work. I went to their place of business. They were, they were missionaries, simple missionaries with a heart to share the gospel with North Korea. They couldn't move to North Korea, so they did the best that they could, which was start a cafe on the border of North Korea on the China side. And so I spent some time with Kevin at his, at his bakery. I spent some time with him at his cafe and um, spent some time helping to provide supplies for the North Koreans that were coming in to his uh, factory. I met him again um, after he had been arrested inside of China, but he had been arrested in 2014 because American authorities were launching a crackdown on Chinese cyber espionage spies. And Canada was helping them. One of the main guys that they had in their sights was a guy by the name of Su Bin. Su Bin was a Chinese uh, spy working in Canada. And he was caught. He was arrested. So tit for tat, China came in and arrested Kevin and Julia Garrett. They didn't have jack squat on either one of them. But they were arrested and they were held in detention with their families. They had, they had their children in China at the time. And they held them in, 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 in jail because they said that they were guilty of, they were being investigated for espionage. It was so bogus. They were not responsible for anything that had to even be close to being spies. But China needed two Canadians because their people had been arrested for spying. They needed some Canadians to also be arrested for spying. So could we be looking at the same thing now? I think we could. Because we are starting to see that tit for tat. In fact, I don't know um, how many people have been watching the news lately. This has not made it out in the mainstream media. What I'm about to share with you has not made it out into the mainstream media. But in, on May 22nd, China was caught smuggling 10,800 assault weapons into Louisville, Kentucky. They were bound, there was a shipment that was coming from Shenzhen that was destined for Melbourne, Florida. It, on its manifest papers, it said that there was steel pipes, construction material coming from China into the U.S. and had been stopped. So this is, and there's been this fuel for Marxism inside of the U.S. And we've been seeing that a lot. How does this impact missionaries? American missionaries working inside of China probably isn't going to be very practical for the foreseeable future. Not if things keep going down this road. Because there is an escalation that is taking place. There was a trade deal that seemed like it was going to bring a little bit of happiness in January. But then the coronavirus broke out, and now that has just gone down the pot. 
That first phase trade deal was more of a ceremony than it was anything concrete. The concrete activities was actually supposed to take place on, on phase two. And phase two should have already been implemented, but both sides have basically, both China and the US, have abandoned phase two and escalated rhetoric. You're starting to see anti-American rhetoric rising inside of China, anti-Chinese rhetoric rising in the United States. This is very common to what we saw during the Cold War. Two nuclear powers, two military world powers, two of the world's largest economies, not actually trading fire, but doing everything else that escalates uh, uncertainty for everybody else around the world. This means that many countries are gonna be choosing sides. So countries that are attached to China, countries like Pakistan, Uzbekistan, Kazakhstan, countries that have no relationship with the United States, nations like Iran, North Korea, Yemen, are gonna start finding refuge in China and China's gonna be building up their allies in the same way that Russia did during the Cold War. And that impacts missionaries. Because the other thing that we've seen is the United Nations Humanitarian Commission has now been taken over by China. Now China is the one that selects all of the leadership as well as the investigators, the key investigators. What is the job of those key investigators for the United Nations Human Rights Commission Board? To, to investigate nations that are accused of violating human rights. <laughs> you think China's going to investigate any of the people that actually speak good of them and do you think they're going to investigate themselves? So the United Nations Human Rights Commission Board is now basically defunct. Nothing that it says can really be trusted anymore, which means the the Christian world is now one less organization we have one less organization to be able to sound the alarm on different nations that persecute believers. And in fact, nations that persecute believers are now in charge of the United Nations Human Rights Commission. So if you think that you're going to hear any correct information coming out of that body, forget about it. It's not happening. If you've been watching our website or been following our website, one of the most disturbing things that has happened in the last week is this. Since the last time I did a, uh, a live podcast, and I'm going to be wrapping this up with this because <clears throat> I know that I've went a little bit over time, but I, I really want to share this because one of the things that people have not been aware of is that this new wave of persecution that is taking place inside of China it is against registered official churches. And that is exactly what we have seen in the last week in Jiangxi province. In Jiangxi province, in Fuzhou city, what we have seen is a church, a, a Protestant church that has been trained, ch changed into a patriotic training center. That it, it, here's a term that I'm going to give to you that you're going to hear me say in the coming months. It's a new term. It's just now being used. And my belief is that it's going to be used a lot more in the future. You've, you're probably going to hear it here first. And back to Jerusalem. We're, we're, I, I haven't heard this really shared anywhere else. On, on, as far as a podcast goes, this is probably the first time that you've ever heard this term. Civilization Practice Station a CPS, 
CPS, I think for most Americans, means Child Protective Services. This the, the, the civilized practice station is a term that is being used for transforming churches. What we saw inside of Jiangxi was that a Protestant church was taken over by the government. Now, it was already taken over by the government. It was registered by the government. But the government moved in, and they tore down all of the crosses. And then they put up communist symbols. If you've been watching any of the Black Lives Matter protests, you'll, you're familiar with those communist symbols. The sickle and the hammer. Those are common symbols. That was the very symbol of Marxism that was used at the churches, put up on the outside of the churches. And then the congregation was then registered with the government. And all of them required, as far as I can tell, I did not get confirmation whether it was 100%, but I do know that the, it was said that the congregation, whether that means 100% of all attendees or people that were in the books or individuals that it, it decided to show up, I'm not sure, but the rooms were packed full. During coronavirus, might I add, the rooms were packed full by congregation members that were registered with the church that were now brought in to the church that had been transformed in not a church building. It, you can't call it a church building anymore. It's no longer a part of the three self-patriotic church system. It's now called a civilization practice station. All of the church members were brought in they were all made to wear these t-shirts, which are just kind of like a uniform. They all had to wear uniform t-shirts that brought uniformity. All of the t-shirts, I saw them, had the symbols of many different religious uh, um, logos. So you had the crescent, you had um, uh, the cross, um, you had um, the yin and yang, you had different religious symbols on the shirt. Very similar to what we've been seeing in Xinjiang with the Muslim Uyghurs in the western part of China that we have talked about in other podcasts that there's more than a million of these podcast, uh, more than a million of these prisoners that are currently in prison camps. Now we're starting to see this happening to Christians wearing these shirts that bring about uniformity. Then we shared video that was produced by the government and put out by the government of the individuals that are at these civilization practice stations singing patriotic songs, singing um, uh, songs that praise the leaders, learning about Marxism, learning about what is called New Era teaching. Now, if you're not familiar with New Era teaching, it is very important to become familiar with that because basically that's what's being taught at the civilization practice stations and the re-education camps inside of Xinjiang. This is a new policy. The, the name of the policy, and it's full. If you do the full translation of the policy, it was introduced in March 11, 2018. That's when the new religious laws came out the exact same time. The name of the law is called, or the name of the theory is called Xi Jinping's Thought on Socialism with Chinese Characteristics for a New Era. That's the full name of it. Xi Jinping's Thought on Socialism with Chinese Characteristics for a New Era, it's, or it's simply known as New Era Policy. 
This new era policy has now been officially adopted into the constitution of the People's Republic of China. Universities have been established, or I'm sorry, universities have established research institutes to research and teach and produce materials that would teach new era policies and how to incorporate, incorporate it in all aspects of daily life. On November 27, 2019, China's top filmmakers, actors, and pop stars were all gathered to come together in Hangzhou to learn and study about the new era policies, to make sure that they are a part of the films, a part of the actors. And by the way, Hollywood hires Chinese filmmakers to be on their staff when they make films to make sure that Hollywood is creating their films according to the CCP, the Chinese Communist Party of China, or the Chinese Communist Party, uh, according to their regulations. That's why the Russians are the bad guys and not the Chinese. A an app has been released by Alibaba called Shuixi uh, Qianguo, which is a study guide to study these new policies. You also get a certificate. But according to the video that was produced by the government about the transformation of this church after one month of transforming the inside and the outside of this church, one of the things that we see is that the members of the church were brought in and for all day long, for several days, they were just uh, pounded with this propaganda. And the video shared how people uh, or why people turn to religious teachings. They said that religion is a monotonous cultural life where people are taught to blindly follow ancient superstitions. But these ancient superstitions can be counterbalanced by organized government activity and civilized practices taught at these civilization practice stations. And at the civilization practice stations, people are taught to abandon their faith. On the videos that were shared by the government, testimonies were shared on these videos of individuals who were released from their religion. They were set free. They began to give testimonies about how they had believed in Christ, but now they have learned the true way. These re-education camp ideas are not new. This is the foundation for gulags in Russia, foundation for gulags in North Korea. In a book that I wrote together with one of the most well-known pastors in all of China, Zhang Rongliang, we wrote his testimony in a book called I Stand with Christ. And he talked about arriving in a re-education camp in 1974. And in 19, May of 1974, re-education camps were shared in the same way that they are today. People are tricked by religion and superstition and they need to be educated and broken free from the control that is put in place to control their minds. This re-education camp was called Satan's Camp. Let me read you directly from, let, let, me, let me read you uh, a, a 
quote directly from Zhang Rongliang when he shares about Satan's camp. He says, I'm glad I didn't know when I, what I would soon come to learn. The classes that I was told to attend were not academic courses with lectures and a test at the end of the semester. I was heading into the mouth of the dragon. I was walking into the darkest dungeon that I had ever experienced in all my life. We were at the point of no return. Everyone around us had been trained to brainwash us. The classes soon became known as the Christian, to the Christians as Satan's camp. I would be repressed, starved, and tortured. I would suffer from diseases that I had never heard of. The classes, quote-unquote, were meant to either change me or kill me. And the atmosphere was little, little better than that of a Holocaust-era concentration camp. The shadow of death lingered over us all like a vulture, and we were intimidated by the ever-present reality that our lives held very little value in the government's eyes. The picture that was shown to the rest of the world of Pastor Zhang's experience of Satan's camp was not much different than what we are seeing today at the civilization practice stations. Now, I, I don't want to say that they were as intense of what Pastor Zhang went through, but they're definitely the building blocks of what we saw. There's a guy that's writing on here. Thank you, Arthur. He's listening to us live, and he's written to us live and said, Hi, Eugene. I'm originally from the USSR. My parents told me stories of the times when they were growing up. Marxist propaganda was everywhere. Yeah, I, I mean... Where do you think China learned it from? They learned it from Russia. It came from Germany, from Marxist thought, from Marxist theory, from Marxist teaching. I got another question here from a brother by the name of Jonathan Newman who says, uh, which country will manufacture the mark of the beast? I'm not the right person for that question, I don't think. But let me just kind of throw out a brain teaser, if you will. Um, I've just kind of been playing this game in my mind, thinking about, you know, I don't, I, for me personally, all right, let me put it this way. For me personally, I don't spend too much time studying about the mark of the beast because I don't, to be quite honest, I'm not the smartest guy in the room, all right? I don't have the capacity to have a lot of knowledge in my head. I'm kind of like a, a, an old computer that has a capacity of about two gigabytes. Most of the people around the world are walking around with updated version with over 200 gigabytes. Well, I don't have that 200 gigabytes. I have two gigabytes. So I have to be very careful about the storage of information that I choose to store because I run out of space very quickly. And so when it comes to the Mark of the Beast, I don't spend a lot of time studying the Mark of the Beast, and here's why. I talk about it in a new book that will be produced next year. I would, rather, I would rather spend more time focusing on the return of Jesus Christ. And Jesus told us what was necessary to see his return. What is necessary to see his return is for all of the nations to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. That's it. So that is what I dedicate my energy towards. I don't want to spend so much time studying about the mark of the beast, anticipating the mark of the beast, and calculating 
where I think that he will most likely come from? Because that doesn't tell me anything. If I really want to know, because Jesus said this, said it very clear in Matthew chapter 24. When the disciples came to Jesus and they asked, you know, when will all of these things come to pass? Because, you know, Jesus is talking about some really heavy things. And so these guys, you know, when the temple is going to be destroyed, when the temple falls, when, when the persecution will come, when will all these things take place? And Jesus tells them, verse 14, And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached to all the nations, all the ethnos groups. That's the ethnos is the Greek word that's used there in verse 14. And then the end will come. It's plain as day. That's you you want a marker of when the return of Jesus is going to come? That's that's your marker. And we still have two-thirds of the world's population living in dark nations that are aggressive against the the gospel. And the, the Back to Jerusalem vision focuses on the region where nine out of every ten people who've never heard the gospel ever before in their life now live. That's why I dedicate my entire life towards spreading the gospel, because that is my focus. Where would the mark of the beast come from? It's not my focus, but Jonathan, I'm with you. I love just asking the question sometimes, just just for the fun of it. So uh, for me, uh, I, I, I start to think in this way, especially when I see this pandemic, coronavirus. One of the things that we see about the pandemic is that people that don't necessarily ad- adopt all of the teachings of so I, I know that I have many listeners here that believe that you should be wearing masks. I know that I have many li- listeners here that believe that you should go on lockdown. I'm in a country, and I thank God for it, that I'm in a country that don't, doesn't believe that you should have ma- that you have to wear a mask, and they don't believe that you should ever go on lockdown, at least for this pandemic. That's in Sweden. Right now I'm in a place called Smogen. In Smogen, people are basically shoulder to shoulder. Uh, the crowds are everywhere. Restaurants, pier, shops. Um, all the stores, grocery stores, all open, all crowded. Nobody's wearing a mask. Um, and uh, they're just living life without fear, and I like it. That's why I'm here. That's why I'm definitely not in New York or a place that requires, or even you know, in China where you have to wear a mask and there are all these different stipulations. Now, um, if I'm in a place that tells me I have to wear a mask, I wear my mask. But when I see people that say, you know what, I shouldn't have to wear a mask, I see, and even if you're one of these people, okay, I'm just using this as an illustration. So I'm not attacking you. I'm not, I'm, I'm not disagreeing with you. I'm just saying for me, I believe this is where I want to be. If you believe that you need to have a mask, you have a lot of data on your side. Um, if you believe that we should go on lockdown, I don't believe that's a long-term solution. I just don't. I think that we are now looking at a virus that is basically going to be with us forever. We've seen six months of rolling lockdowns, and the lockdowns have done nothing but basically delay the inevitable. Because as soon as you come out of lockdown, the virus basically comes back. Um, Nobody practices lockdown better than North Korea. I know I've been there. They're good at it. They've had a couple of decades practicing the best lockdowns you've ever seen in your entire life. And yet the coronavirus is there in North Korea. (coughs) People will point out, well, yeah, Sweden has lost a lot of people. Yes, a lot of people died because big mistakes were made in the very beginning of the lockdowns. And what was not locked down was the retirement homes. Those mistakes were acknowledged. Those mistakes were fixed. But the idea here is if you are sick, 
you should be quarantined. If you have a compromised immune system, you should be quarantined. If you are in, at an age, because most of the people that die from this, 65, here's the thing. Those that are below 65 right now with the data that we have, we see that those that are below the age of 65 years old, 65, the chances of you recovering is 99.96%. 99.96% is that it's not going to be fatal for you. So the Swedes have just been of the opinion that let the healthy people live life, pay taxes, do their jobs, and those that are uh, compromised with their health, they go into quarantine. It, there's no reason for the entire world to go into quarantine. That's why we're here. But one of the things that I have noticed, and this is kind of the game that I would like to pose, Jonathan, with your question. <clears throat> when it comes to the mark of the beast, I'm just, I have been thinking about that. And when I, when I see that, one of the things that I've seen is that the world is very quickly, when they see a danger, and this is, this is not even close to being the kind of danger that I think that we will see in the final days. This virus is deadly, no doubt about it, but it's not as deadly as it could be. One of the things we see, even with this mild, mild virus, because it's not SARS, right? It's, it's not as deadly as some of the other viruses that we've seen out there that can, uh, I mean, when you see like the bubonic plague, for instance, that basically your parts of your body starts turning black and falling off. Can you imagine those imageries, those, those images, that imagery being splattered across the evening news every day uh, from the bubonic plague, which is also, by the way, also hit China. Um, if it was like the bubonic plague before they found a vaccine for it, and you had those images. One of the things that I've seen just with this mild disease is that people feel that anybody that doesn't want to wear a mask, even though there has been data out there that shows that masks, depending on the type of mask, that most people are wearing. So let's talk about the, the most common type of mask that you see out there. And in fact, I saw a picture from Target, which is a major department store in the United States, that had masks for sale with a mirror. So you could try on the mask <laughs> and put it back for other people to try it on and look at themselves in the mirror to find out which one looks best on your face. Um, not the most safe. But anyway, the, most, the major, majority of people wear masks not because they work, but because they feel social pressure. And now they have legal pressure. And those that don't are considered to be selfish. So I'm already starting to see those that do not start to conform are being pointed out and persecuted. I believe that the mark of the beast very much could come as the result of a disease, a pandemic like we're seeing. That you need to be in some way vaccinated or monitored to make sure that they can control the disease. We're already seeing it with the apps that are coming out for contact tracing. They're mandatory inside of China. And they're trying, they're act, right now inside of the EU, they're actually evaluating whether contact tracing apps are necessary. And contact tracing apps, what they do is they basically tell you, have you come in contact with anybody that is sick? And if you become sick, you alert your contact tracing app and anybody that's been in contact with you would then be able to see on their phone whether 
or how long ago it was that you were on this contact tracing or you were a part of, you know, in contact with them. It's not as easy on a, when it's a volunteer system, it's basically inadequate. It has to be mandatory. If it's not mandatory, it doesn't work. Because somebody could get sick and doesn't want other people to know because it could affect their job, it could affect their, could affect their travel, it could affect their um, connection with their kids, their family, maybe they're going through a divorce, could uh, impact their, a big pay that they're trying to secure a big deal so they don't want it, people to know that they're sick. So they just don't put it on a volunteer app. So if, in order for something like that to work, it really does need to be mandatory. I could see the mark of the beast being a response. I'm not saying it is. I'm just saying as a, as a, a fun exercise, I could imagine a world in which a pandemic breaks out where the, the uh, sickness is so deadly that the world takes drastic measures to stop it and the entire world comes together as a community and unites to save the human race. And in order to do that, there would need to be a monitoring chip to monitor people's temperatures, core temperature, movement, connection, activity, travel schedule. And if there were people that say, I don't want you to have that information. I don't want you to have my body temperature, my contact information, my, my daily travel schedule. Then they say, fine. If you do not take this mark, then you cannot participate in social commerce. I could definitely see that taking place. Which country? I don't believe it comes from one country. I think it's a collective international effort where two things become clear. One, Christians and Jews are the enemy of this new system. And two, the new system is tolerant of everybody, embracing, loving of everybody, except for Christians and Jews. Food for thought, something to think about. During this time where we are seeing everything turned absolutely upside down, it's the enemy's way of buying time. I'm convinced of it. The enemy knows that his days are numbered, his time is short. We have to continue completing the Great Commission. We have to continue fighting for the lives of those that are lost, for those that have not heard, for those that have never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. I want to thank you for downloading this Back to Jerusalem podcast. Thank you for those of you that joined us live for Back to Jerusalem. I've seen the numbers go up. Uh, this video will be available on YouTube for a few short days, and then it will be uploaded onto our podcast so you can listen to it there. I want to thank you for your prayers and thank you for your support, especially for those out there that are listening that are a part of our Gatekeepers program. If you're not a Gatekeeper, please sign on to backtojerusalem.com forward slash Gatekeeper. Check it out. Join together with us so that we can continue completing the Great Commission together. Thank you so much. Thank you for your prayers, your support, and your friendship. God bless.